0: Good morning. My young friends, thank you for allowing me the privilege of sharing in your life one last time. I love you. My faculty friends do too. Your parents love you more. And the eternal God of heaven loves you most. I would like to begin our time today on a serious, somber and thankful note. Partly on your behalf, partly from my own heart, I want to publicly acknowledge in the hearing of your family and friends and this church, your appreciation for the dedication and helpfulness of Don Mahler, who died helping you get ready for your graduation. For many of you, he was a Pathfinder leader. For all of you, Don was near the top of the list of the people in this community who work tirelessly, usually unnoticed by you, behind the scenes to give you the physical facility that you have in which to worship and go to school. I know you're a relatively quiet group, especially compared to those noisy freshmen who beat us up some at the picnic yesterday. And I know that graduation time features your families and friends and school personnel applauding you and your accomplishment. But I'm wondering if we could turn the table for just a moment. And I'd like to invite you to stand up just now, class of 2015. And to the memory of Don Mueller, especially, but to all those who have worked so hard behind the scenes to make this weekend a reality for you, would you offer him and them a dignified and thoughtful applause? You may be seated. Just one more thing. Don put his heart every day into making this church a place of joy. And I guarantee, I know him well enough, that he would not want this weekend to be gloomy or sorrowful. And I believe that we will honor him best by having the very sort of joyful weekend that he planned on for you. All right. All right. So let's think together, praise together, and laugh a little too, shall we? There's some things I've figured out about graduation, some things that I haven't. One of the things that I've figured out is why some schools have seniors rent their robes for graduation, their gowns, and other schools have their students buy their gowns. I know why that is. It's because your graduation gown is the one piece of clothing in your wardrobe that you might never outgrow. I advise you to keep it. Mama, so proud, taking a picture of her son on graduation day with his dad. and She said, come on, son, put your arm around dad's shoulder. Make it look natural. Dad said, if you want it to look natural, you ought to have his his hand in my pocket on my car keys and wallet. (laughs) You know the biggest difference between my graduation year of 1970 and 2015? Backpacks. We wouldn't have been caught dead wearing a backpack. I went to a public high school, about six times the size of Spencerville, Had big layouts, several long wings. We had three minutes between classes. No way you had time to get to your locker between classes. So we'd stack up our books in the morning for all the classes of the morning. And you could always tell the difference between guys and girls because the guys, the way we would carry our books, we'd stack them all up from the largest to the the smallest and stick them under the crook of our arm and carry them like men. Girls, on the other hand, They would stack up their books too, from the largest to the smallest. And then they'd wrap their arms around them and walk like they were cuddling a little baby. So sweet. Backpacks. Backpacks. They don't go away, they've been around for a couple generations now. Once on an airplane, there were three passengers Mr. Boyer. Matt Rajarathenem and his granddad. Matt put his backpack up on the rack with the others. And on the journey, the plane plane ran out of fuel. There were three parachutes. Pilot took one and jumped. Mr. Boyer took one and jumped. There was only one left. Matt's granddad said, Matthew... You take the one that's left. I'm an old man. You have your entire life in front of you. Take it. Matt said, No, there's still two parachutes left. Mr. Boyer just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. I know it's time to retire because the other day I gave Allie my phone camera and asked her to take a selfie of Nick and me. I didn't understand why everybody laughed. I think the twins will have to explain that to me. Well, today I'd like to share with you five wishes that I have for you. And they are just that, they're wishes. I can't snap my fingers and make them happen, because each one of these involves a choice. They're not gonna happen randomly. My first wish for you, perhaps a small one, but it's been on my heart increasingly in the last few years. As the doctrine of postmodernism deepens year by year in the thinking of our country. I admit that as a Christian, I feel increasingly unwelcome in my own land. A land founded primarily for the purpose of Christian religious freedom. In the circles of some of my acquaintances, in the paddock of a racetrack, In my hockey locker room, there are some who if or when they hear just basic things that Christians believe, for example, that Jesus is the only way to God, or that God has placed limits on sex, that they not only reject those ideas, but hold that I should have no real freedom to express those ideas. And they've turned into what for me is love. Something they construe as hate. And so I wish for you an America in which it's okay to be a Christian and to live your life as a Christian. So you don't have to feel marginalized or a second-class citizen in the process. Acts 4.12. Because there is no other name given among men by whom we may be saved, in the name of Jesus. I am not going to give that up for any postmodernist. I would rather die than give up that belief. My second wish for you: God created love-powered. Christ-bounded relationships. God-created, love-powered, and Christ-bounded. Most importantly, there's nothing that's going to affect your earthly happiness than how you do the sex thing. And I don't mean sex itself, but I mean the entirety of the male-female Relationship. C.S. Lewis said, You get this right and it will be eternally enjoyed. You get it wrong and it will be eternally endured. Young couple bought the house next to ours. Young couple unmarried in their 20s. Josh and Jenny. We became Good friends. And um, one day, we were good enough friends that I felt comfortable one day saying to Josh, Josh, you know, you've given Jenny your bed. When are you going to give her your name? And Josh said, No, 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 we're not in a marriage and I did. No, no. And I left it there. Two weeks later, Josh came up to me and said, "Dwayne, Jenny and I would like to get married. <laughs> would you do our wedding in our backyard? And I did. Next in importance, people matter. All people matter. The cross of Christ announces to the world that God values the life of all people as greater than his own because he gave up his life that we could live forever. People matter. People, People are valuable in God's sight, all of them. When I was in college, my job as a senior was to leave my door open at night. I had to be in my room. And uh, it was till 11 o'clock, and then I closed close the door and go to bed. One night, <clears throat> right at 11 o'clock, as I was closing my door, Jeff walked in. Jeff was the misfit of our campus. I mean, hippies talk a lot about how we're so into individuality and nonconformity. I've got news for you: we all dressed alike. We all looked alike. A hundred percent of us, except for Jeff, had long hair. A hundred percent of us wore bell-bottom pants or at least flared pants, except for Jeff. I never really knew him, and so he told me about his life, and he had a tough go of it. Never saw him with any other person. His life was a wreck, abandoned, abused, neglected, somehow trying to find his way through college. We prayed together. The next night, at 11 o'clock, Jeff showed up again. We talked for twenty minutes. I tried to give him some encouragement. We had prayer and he left. Next night, at eleven o'clock, when everybody else was quiet in the dorms, school night, Jeff shows up again. And I said, Jeff, why do you you're welcome to come to my room anytime. Why do you come at eleven o'clock? Do you have a job in the evenings? And I'll never forget, he dropped his head and he said, you mean you wouldn't mind being seen with me at any other time? And I said, no, come whenever. My room was open, my door was open from 8 to 11 every night. And so he started to come earlier. One day, as I was walking into the cafeteria for lunch. My best friend, Greg had arrangements with me to eat with him. I carried my tray into the cafeteria and Greg spied me off in the distance. He and his two buddies, there was one chair left at a table for four. Greg waved and yelled. As I walked in, the table immediately to my right, a table for 12. There was one person sitting there, right in the middle of one of the sides, Jeff. And our eyes met, and I could tell he was having an especially rough day. Jeff looked up to me, and I said, hi, Duane." I knew. My heart told me. I had to stop and sit and eat with Jeff. But my legs won the battle and carried me right on by. Hi, Jeff. Have a nice day. I know that God forgave me a long time ago, but I'm not sure I ever forgave myself. I wish for you the purposeful treasuring of people that God has gifted you. What happened to our friend less than 100 hours ago, right here, for some of you should provide a tug at your heart, For others of you, a scream in your ear that you absolutely must treasure the people nearest and dearest to you because you just don't know. Those we love the most, we often treat the worst. Your parents, your siblings, don't take anyone for granted. I know you've heard that a thousand times, but if that's not the way you're living your life, You haven't heard it enough. Dear friends, I wish for you peace in your relationships. My third wish for you is that you adopt a view of sports that's consistent with the Christian worldview. I know that sounds odd. How can sports make the top five list? There's two reasons. Number one, there is an unusually large number of members of your class who love athletics. And number two, our society is absolutely sports obsessed. Longtime Pittsburgh Steelers fans despise the name of Joe Ehrman. Joe Ehrman was a member of the Baltimore Colts, and in the Steelers' run of four Super Bowl victories in six years, they despised that man, because in one of those years where they didn't win, their star running back, Franco Harris, had run the ball as he usually did east to west and was out of bounds on his face. And Joe Ehrman, the big defensive lineman, came flying across the field, leapt through the air, and drove The point of his elbow right into Franco Harris's back, breaking ribs. And while the Steelers won that game, they went on to lose the next game to the Oakland Raiders and had no chance for the Super Bowl. Joe Ehrman was a profane, large, yet well-respected man on his own team. But the great love of his life was not football, it was his little brother, Billy. Billy was not nearly as big or as as athletic as Joe, but he loved sports too, and so he had a job for the Baltimore Colts in the locker room as he was on the staff. Sadly, Billy contracted cancer. He was a very young man. Terminal and fast-moving, fast-acting. A few months later, in Buffalo, New York, on a cold winter day, The funeral and the graveside service were held and everybody left and Joe stayed by after everybody was gone by his brother's fresh grave. And he cried out to God, how can this be? How can you live life just to face the end like this? On that cold day, Joe Ehrman gave his heart to Christ. And when his football career came to an end, he became an ordained minister. And he ended up for a long, long time until he retired recently pastoring a 4,000-member church nearby here in Baltimore. But his real passion in life was to go around and talk to sports kind of groups about what it means to be a man. Because Ehrman said, the sports culture of America says that being a man means athletic prowess, sexual conquest, and financial success. Ehrman said, no. What sports should really teach you is that to be a man means the ability to create and maintain quality relationships. And that was his message and still is to this day. For decades, I have had, long before I ever heard of Joe Ehrman, and you can read about that story in Jeffrey Marks' book called Season of Life. For decades, I've had my own personal sports honor code as an amateur Christian athlete. And my personal honor code includes the following. I will guard the safety of my opponent. I know I'm an old guy, but I've spent my life engaging in some of the more aggressive, violent sports football, hockey, car racing. My friends do golf and tennis. I will give up on a play if the risk of injury to my opponent becomes more than minimal. My personal standard. I will play to win. But in the end, W's and L's don't matter. I would play even if I lost every game. I will play fast, hard, and relentlessly. I will compete. Fourth, I will be friendly. I will model the Christian life and how I treat my teammates and my opponents. I will genuinely care for all involved. And finally, I will not be put off by merely crude or vulgar language around me. But when it comes to taking God's name or Christ's name in vain, I will find creative, friendly ways to reduce or even eliminate his name being taken in vain around me. Those are my personal standards as an amateur Christian athlete. You don't have to agree with me. You need to pray this through. Those of you who are athletic, think it through. But I want to encourage you, my wish for you is that this not just happened by accident, but that you intentionally adopt your own personal code of what it means to be a Christian athlete. And a final thought to the athletes in this class, a reality reminder. Words from Wayne Gretzky, it doesn't matter how good you are, everybody ends up in the men's league. My fourth wish for you, and this is the greatest of all, because when the eastern sky splits wide open, nothing else matters except what you did with Jesus. My fourth wish for you is that you have life with a capital L. John 3:16, for God so loved you that he gave so that you would not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 5:12. The one who has the sun has life. Husband and wife enjoyed sailboating out in the Chesapeake. The husband, uh, characteristically, back at the helm, the wife out on the bow, sunning herself and reading a book. After some years of enjoying this activity, the husband thought, you know, my wife ought to spend some time at least knowing some basics about running a sailboat. What if something happens? And he convinced her that she ought to learn at least how to get the boat maybe to port or near a port if something happened to him. And she agreed. So after a few lessons, one day they were sailing down the main channel of the bay. And the husband thought, okay, it's time for a final exam. He strapped on a life jacket, jumped off the side of the boat, and yelled, man overboard! His wife was not reading a book. She was sound asleep. And as the guy's out there treading water in the shipping lane on the Chesapeake Bay, as his boat sailed out of sight over the horizon, he was thinking, this has got to be the most stupid thing I've ever done in my life. The most stupid quest of my life happened when I was about your age. I was determined to find a one-square-inch patch of neutrality between God and Satan. I was not interested in Satan, but I didn't care about the God stuff either. Just let me be neutral. A stupid quest. It is impossible. There is no neutrality in this battle between Christ and Satan. There is a God who loves you and has announced that love to you and invites you to make a decision. Khalil Gibran, in his book, Jesus, the Son of Man, in one of the conversations between Jesus and Mary, the prostitute, Jesus says, Mary, I love you. And Mary scoffs at him and says, what do you know about love? And Jesus, without missing a beat, says, Mary, I truly love you. And she looks at him, and Jesus says these words, Mary, other men love only themselves in your presence. I alone truly love you. Remember Punchinello? Better looking, better clothes, more toys. Bigger, better, more. That's our world. How do you determine who's special and who's not? It's a message that's pounded into us every day. But it's not God's message. His truth is simple and never changing. It's not the talents you bring to the table. It's to whom you belong. And the truth that the lovable Wemmick, Punchinello, learned from his maker is the same message you must know, that your value has nothing whatever to do with your skills or abilities, but because you belong to the one who loves you ultimately, the one who purchased you at a price, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, verse 20 because Jesus has a soft spot in his heart for sinners like you, like me. And if, there, and if you find that there is something deep in your heart that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most logical explanation is that you were made for a different world. I wish for you life forever in him. Finally, assuming you have come to life in Christ with a capital L, I wish for you the abundant life with a small L that Jesus promised, day-by-day day life. Colossians 2.6 and following says, Just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too with each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. Let your roots grow deep down into him so that you may know with all God's children the richness and sweetness of life in him. And that includes trusting God to lead in your life the way he directs, whom you'll marry, what you'll do for a career, and a myriad smaller details. Don't ever forget that God has the amazing ability to make good come out of bad. In July of 1975, there was a young man named Steve Newharth who was returning with his new bride from their honeymoon, three days after their wedding, and they were involved in a horrible car accident in which they were both killed. there was a witness to that accident. There was a gentleman with his family who saw what happened. The person was not a God believer, quite agnostic, loved history, loved sports. But um, he got involved with what happened in the aftermath of the accident, getting acquainted with Steve's parents, Seventh-day Adventists. And um, because of that interaction, and what happened as months followed, this man's wife ended up becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. And so did their daughter. Later on, the husband would too. Out of that horrible accident, there came to new life a person who was an agnostic coming to christ and finding meaning and life in him i'm not saying the accident was somehow worthwhile i'm saying that god has the ability to make good come out of bad those two people are standing or sitting in this audience right now and i'd like to invite them to stand mr and mrs i'm sorry i don't know your last name Hey, Hayes, their daughter, the little girl riding in that car, her brother, in that truck that they were riding in, was Mrs. Kittleson. Mrs. Kittleson. Think about this. She went off to college to an Adventist school that she never otherwise would have. She met her husband-to-be, a young man named Brian, and you know some of that story, that involves the senior class right here. Steve had been hired at this little Adventist school, and it was July, and they were desperate to try to replace him. school year was just about ready to begin. There was another young man just out of college who was on his way to law school, who in his heart secretly wanted to be a teacher, but didn't tell anybody about that. Didn't put out any resumes, just thought if God wanted to lead, that that would happen. Somehow that little school found out about that young man. And he gave up his plans to go to law school and became a teacher in that little school. And discovered that on his first day, in the first hour, that all of his career dreams just came true as a teacher. Yeah, you guessed it. That was me. That was me. And so, here, out of this horrible tragedy, other lives God causes to be changed. I ended up being a teacher, the love of my career life all these years, my students, and bringing them to the Lord. And the Kittlesons getting acquainted, getting married. After all, think about what this means. If that hadn't happened, there'd be no Brianna. (laughs) Have confidence in God's ability to lead in life and to make good come out of bad. Trust him. He knows what is best for you, and he always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. I wanna conclude today, since Dr. Carson is coming tomorrow to speak with you, I'd like to conclude with a personal story about Dr. Carson. Sitting back in that little room where half of you marched through this morning, we call it the hallway of Sabbath school class. Long time ago, my wife and I had a piece of paper On that piece of paper, there were five paragraphs. Each paragraph was a description of a person whose life was saved by our daughter Erin's gifts of life, major organ donations. It was six weeks after she had died, and we knew, we learned the successes of those organ donations. No names, but... Details of their lives, how many children they had, how old they were, where they lived, etc. And as we shared that list around our little Sabbath school class of close friends, there were tears in just about everyone's eyes. And when we got done with reading the list, Dr. Carson, who was sitting near the end, raised his hand. He raised his hand. That was odd in our class. He raised his hand and he said, with as much emotion as I've ever seen him in all the years I've known him, would you please add my name to that list? And he explained that the night that Aaron died, a Monday night, that he was at the hospital late into the night doing surgery. He had gotten a call from the ER doctor of Little Montgomery General Hospital here around the corner, who had found out that we were acquainted with Dr. Carson. There's no neurosurgeon available at a small hospital like that. And the ER doctor was desperately asking, what could we do? Dr. Carson gave some instructions But later he said, I knew it was in vain based on what they told me. I knew where it was going to end up. That night, as he was driving home from the hospital, he was exhausted, mentally exhausted thinking about us and thinking about Aaron. He was physically exhausted from all the travel and all the surgeries. He was averaging five surgeries a day each of which had some presentation or a combination of factors that no one had ever tried before in the world he was literally like Thomas Edison inventing new stuff every day trying to save kids lives and he was exhausted physically he fell asleep at the wheel of the car he told us and drove off the road the jarring of the shoulder woke him up and he came back on the road And then he told us he started praying, just praying desperately for our family and what he knew we were going through. As he told us part of the story, there were tears flowing down his cheeks, and I said, Ben, you see death all the time. He said, yes, but those are strangers. This is Aaron. And then he started praying for himself, said, Lord, my life is precious too, not just Aaron's. What am I doing to myself? I almost just killed myself. The next morning, he wrote a letter to the president of Johns Hopkins University Hospital and told him a story about Aaron and her closeness with her dad, the time we spend together. He said, please, something in my life has to change. My sons are growing up without me. The next morning, Wednesday morning, Aaron was still at the hospital going through the organ harvesting process. The next morning, the president called him in and said, held up his letter and said, Dr. Carson, I am directing that your wish be granted So Dr. Carson said, please add my name to that list of the lives that Aaron has saved. As his life would change, his speaking schedule would become more manageable, his number of surgeries would reduce. Add my name to the list. Class of 2015, somewhere there's a list of those who have freely confessed their need of a savior. They have reached out and accepted Jesus as their only hope. I'm on that list. How about you? I want my name on the list of those who say, I know the world's way of doing relationships, but I want to do relationships God's way. How about you? And I want my name added to the list of those who are determined to live life where love is at the center, and not just say, I love people, but really show it by my actions. What about you? Shall we pray? Oh dear God, you and you alone are the rock, the rock of our salvation, the one who alone will never leave us, ever fail us, or forsake us. The one whose ear is not so dull that it cannot hear, or whose arm is so short that it cannot save. Oh God, I pray for each of the seniors of this class that they will reach out and hold you today and forever because you have reached out and hold them. In Jesus' name, amen.